You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. show you something. You, it's hard to see it, but this is a journal entry from October 28, 1949, a man named Jim Elliott. It reads, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Six years later, at the ripe old age of 28, he was speared to death by the Ecuadorian Indians that he was seeking to reach for Christ. People called it a waste. But this journal entry says that Jim Elliott disagreed with their assessment. Here's Christianity 101. Your life is bigger than the 78 years or so you have in this age. You are going to live forever. The Bible says there is coming a day when the graves will be opened and people will be raised. The, the people who loved Christ will be raised to enjoy Him forever. And the people who did not love Christ will not be forced to enjoy Him. They will be separated. They will get exactly what they want and be separated from Him forever. I get it that this sounds like fairy tales. But I want to remind you, this fairy tale is true. If you will open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Last week we, or two weeks ago, we looked at verses 1 through 3. This morning we're going to focus on verses 4 through 9. But let me start reading in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. And I think it's on about page 11 of the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. And I encourage you to get one of those Bibles so that you can, so that you can see that what is being said is from the Word of God and not from me. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. 
Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on his right, excuse me, on his east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Let's pray. Father, your son is the true vine and we are the branches. And he's chosen to use us to bear fruit. Lord, that's going to happen when your son is working through us. It's going to happen when your Holy Spirit fills us with the truth of your word, convinces us that it is true, and then empowers us to open our mouths and to speak. Father, I pray that you would work this morning to convince us, not just that your word is true, but that your son is true. And Lord, I pray that we would put our hope in him, not on anything in this age. Father, we pray that you would give us perseverance. That no matter what comes our way, that we would believe his promises, even through death. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe there really is one command in this passage. And the command is go. Go. Go knowing that it will cost you dearly. God says, go knowing that it will be worth it in the end. Notice the first command. It's a very simple command, go. We see it in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show him. Notice that God is calling Abram to leave everything that he knows. In his old country, including his extended family, including his income, including his old religion, his home, everything familiar to him. And he calls him to an unknown place, fueled by, as we see in verses 2 through 3, promises that God is going to reward him and make him a blessing to the whole world. But I want you to see that God's call to Abraham was, was go. Go trusting my promises, trusting me enough to go, even though you know it's going to cost you dearly. We need to make no mistake that God calls the people that He loves to obey Him at great personal risk. 
If we could summarize what we're going to see in verses 4 through 9 is that Abraham is going, and here's his predicament. His predicament is, is one that his destination is uncertain, and I want you to see that his situation was unsafe. And yet, look at verse 4. I love verse 4 because God says, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And in verse 4, look at what it says. It says, So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. I wrote down in my notes, Oh God, give us a heart that obeys like that. God says, go, leave everything you know, go, and the answer of our hearts would be, and so they went forth as the Lord God commands. Look at verse 4. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and lot with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, which they had accumulated, and all the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Imagine what that must have been like. You look at verse 5, and you see he speaks of all their possessions and the people that they had acquired, and it seems that, that they've been doing pretty good in Haran. Why not? It just seems like, Lord, you're, you're, you're prospering me in, in Haran. Honey, it looks like the Lord is prospering us in Haran. Why don't we just stay in Haran? Why would anybody in their right mind leave the land that they know to go to a land that they do not know filled with a people that they do not know, but certainly have heard about. Now think about this. When I go like to an, to an airport or, or, or when I went to Malaysia, I took my wallet out of my front pocket, I mean out of my back pocket, and I put it in my front pocket. But I just want you to notice that, that this has taken this to a whole new level. This concept of vulnerability is all over this passage. Think about what it would be like to walk blindly into a strange land. No map, no landmarks, no road signs, no connections with people there. He's never been there before. He doesn't know a single soul. And that's dangerous enough, but look at verse 5. Look at what he's got with him. It says he took Sarai, his wife. And as we'll see in a few weeks, Sarai was, was a beautiful woman. And then it says, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan. I just want to remind you, this is long before Wells Fargo. And so all of Abraham's wealth is being brought with Abram into this land. And if that's not enough, it gets even worse when we get to the end of verse 6 because at the end of verse 6, there's this very abrupt statement that's more abrupt in the original than it is even here in English when it just says, now the Canaanite was then in the land. Do you remember the Canaanites? If you go back to Genesis 9, you'll be reminded that the word spoken over Canaan was cursed be to Canaan. 
These are the people who are living under the curse of God. And I just want to remind you, if there's a society in which God has pulled off His grace, you don't want to go there at night. Go home and read Leviticus and Deuteronomy with a highlighter in your hand to highlight every time the Canaanite is mentioned. In particular, go to Leviticus 18. And here's what you'll see is that the Canaanites are famous for godlessness. Famous for all kinds of perverted sexuality. Famous even for for wanting their gods to bless them so much that they are willing to take their own children and sacrifice them in fire to their gods. And again, I want to remind you, if there is a culture that is willing for their own benefit to put their children through fire, this is probably not a culture that's going to be warm and welcoming to strangers. Just a little insight for us. Before we get to application later. And it's this, just because you do things God's way, don't expect everything to go your way. Imagine what it was like for Abraham and all of his stuff to trespass in the land of the Canaanites. Think about what the nighttime must have been like. like there's no flashlight. There's no street light. There's very little light at all. Uh, imagine, here, here's Abram and his family and, and all of their stuff all together. What, what must have gone through their minds when they heard a twig snap right outside their camp? Heard the, the, the muffled whispers of people outside their camp. Imagine what the conversations between Abram and Sarah were like. Abram, do you, do you know where we're going? No. Well, if you don't know where we're going, how do we know when we get there? How do we know that we've not already passed it? You, you, you brought me out of Haran. Remember, God spoke to Abram, not to Sarah. Why don't we just go back to Haran, Abram? Please. Do you think there might be a real possibility that Abram might be questioning his call about now? I don't think that's a stretch because take a look at what God does next. <laughs> In fact, take notes on what God does next. Look at verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. Right when Abram needs to hear from the Lord, the Lord shows up. It's fantastic because your God knows that you are but dust. And He doesn't just show up with encouragement for Abram. Hey, listen, Abram, I know it's, it's been silent, but I've not forgotten you. I want you to notice that He shows up with promises. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. Imagine what that must have been like in this land, surrounded by his enemies, to hear the Lord say, all this, I'm going to give it to you. 
Imagine what it was like to hear that promise as he's holding his barren wife's hand. To your descendants, I am going to give this land. In other words, I'm not just going to give you the land, I'm going to give you a son. And notice what Abram does. This, this promise is music to this wandering man's ears. And look, verse 7, so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abram worships. In the midst of this godless nation that's sacrificing their children to unknown gods, Abram builds an altar and there worships the Lord who appeared to him. I can just imagine him overflowing with joy, overflowing with gratitude, overflowing with praise. And this seems to be the new pattern in his life. Look at verse 8. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on his west and I on his east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing on toward the Negev. God called him to go. God called him to go knowing that it would cost him everything. But God wants him to go with the full assurance that it will be worth it in the end. I want you to notice, let's just remember that Abram's traveling through this land that God has promised to him. And here's my question for us this morning. When does Abram get it? When does Abram get the land that God has promised to give him? In verse 8, notice where Abram is living. He's living in a tent. And the passage ends with Abram continuing to, to set up camp and then moving on, setting up camp and then moving on, setting up camp and then moving on. When does Abram get the land that God has promised? And I want it to be very clear that God has promised Abram the land. Look over to Genesis chapter 13 and verse 15. He says, for all the land in which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Look over to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 8. He says to Abram, I will give it to you and to your descendants after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. When does he get it? And here's the answer. Abram dies without ever receiving the land. At the time of Abram's death, the Bible says that he owns one small little graveyard that he buries his wife in. It's the only land in the land of Canaan that Abram owns at his death. And just, just let that sink in for a minute. Because if you're paying attention, I hope that you're saying, wait a minute. So does that mean God didn't keep His promise? God promised Abram the land. Abram dies. He doesn't have the land. Is God a liar? 
The Bible goes so far as to say that God swore to give the land to Abram. This is Exodus 6, verse 8. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Know this. When God makes an unconditional promise to His people, He keeps that promise. Every time He keeps that promise. There are, there are things that you hear me say from this pulpit over and over and over again. And it's because I want, them, I want you to remember these things after you've forgotten your kids' names. I want you to remember things like this. Whoever puts their trust in Him will not be disappointed. Notice what's going on. Look over with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you have that, that Black Pew Bible, it's on page 1204. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. By going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. I want you to underline the word he. And who's the he? Abraham. He is to receive this land as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For, why would you do that? For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. Now underline that. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Get the message of that passage and that passage will change your life. God promised Abram land. But did he receive that land in this age? No. So did God fail? Did God lie? The answer is no. The promises of Abraham are still coming. Abraham did not trust God in vain. The promises of God will be kept and Abram will have his land. If this age is all there is, if there is no age to come, if there is no resurrection from the dead, 
And Abram was a fool for leaving Haran and his family and his money. But Abram was no fool. One day, and Jesus says it won't be long, Abram's grave will open. And Abram's going to walk out of that grave. And Abram will have his land. You're not a fool to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. If that sounds strange, that's, that's craziness, Tommy. This, is, this, is, this crazy message is Christianity 101. This is just the ABCs of the gospel. Look over to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. It's on page 957. And look again with me how Jesus is described. Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And as we saw two weeks ago, Jesus was promised the nations. Ask of me, God says in Psalm 2, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Not even Jesus has received the promises of God. Flip over to Matthew chapter 4. And look at verse 8. The devil is tempting Jesus. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Do you see what the devil's tempting Jesus with? I'm making you the same promise that God made you. I'm promising you the nations. There's just one difference. The devil's saying, Jesus, you can have the nations now. No suffering. No cross. I will give you the nations right now. You won't have to wait. Worship me and you won't have to suffer to get it. This morning, if you are trusting Christ, then you chose the right man to trust. Because in the face of this temptation of the devil, in the face of every other temptation of the devil, Jesus clung to the promises of God. You're on your way to paradise, believer, because Jesus told the devil, no thanks. I'll wait for my inheritance in the age that is to come. So what happened? So just like Abram, Jesus lived in this age, not as Lord, not as heir, not as owner, but as a stranger and an alien. In this age, Jesus was mistreated. In this age, Jesus was misunderstood. Mark chapter 3 says his own family at one point comes to hear him preach and says, listen, y'all need to go get Jesus. He's, he's lost his senses. His own family misunderstood him. In this age, he was rejected. In this age, he was whipped. In this age, the only crown he wore had thorns. In this age, his throne was a cross. 
And he was nailed to it like a piece of meat. But he hung on that cross clinging to the promises of God. Clinging to the promise of an inheritance that is to come. Three days later, God began to fulfill those promises. Installment number one on the promise to Abram was kept when the son of Abram walked out of the grave. And the Bible says the Lord declared him to be both Lord and Christ. The Bible says that he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And guess what the Bible says he's doing right now? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13 says that Jesus is waiting. Jesus is doing the exact same thing that he's calling you and me to do. To wait. Just like Abram, he's still waiting. Waiting for the promises of God to be kept. So this morning, I have some really good news. That is um, inconvenient news. Look at Galatians 3.29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So here's what this means. It means if this text, Genesis chapter 12, verses 4-9 through 9, were a bullet, it would be aimed directly at you. This text is about us. You, here's the situation. You've been lied to. There are lots of preachers who are out peddling the gospel and they are lying to you, telling you that salvation is free. That's true. But they also tell you that it's not going to cost you anything and that's a lie. Three times the Holy Spirit moved men of God to record these words. Then Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone wishes to come to Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. People can say, I can handle that. Because Jesus is just talking to His disciples. He's talking to this special class of Christians. Well, the Holy Spirit also inspired this one in Mark 8. And He summoned the crowd with His disciples, and He said to them, if anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. And if there's any doubt, in Luke 9, and He was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for My sake, he is the one who will save it. Luke 14, 33, so then Jesus says, none of you, none of you can be my disciples who do not give up everything they own. You've been lied to, but the reality is the church has lied. The church has been lying to the world by receiving nice, likable unbelievers into church membership so that when the world sees a church, they see nothing supernatural at play. 
And then the church continues to lie to the world as they keep apostates on the roll again so that there's nothing supernatural happening in the church and Christians are then made to believe that there's only a special class of radicals that actually take the calling of Jesus seriously. Here's the reality. According to Jesus, the normal Christian life is the life of a crucified life of mission and rebirth following a crucified and resurrected Christ. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so guess what that means? Guess what the normal Christian life looks like? But it looks a lot like Genesis chapter 12. Go. Go. Knowing. Have we not been commanded to go? Go. Knowing that it's going to cost you everything. But go knowing in your soul that it's going to be worth everything it costs you. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple, Luke 14, 26. That's true. I want to remind you this morning that is not Jesus' final word. Listen, the conversation doesn't end. It ends with a promise. Mark 10, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or farms for my sake and for the gospels, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Look at this. 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, He's not writing to a radical class of Christians. He's writing to normal Christians like you and me on the ground, seeking to follow Jesus, seeking to make him known, seeking to live a family life that honors him. He says to us, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See that? This is hope is coming. Lavish grace is getting ready to be poured out onto your head. Lavish grace is promised to you. And, and on one hand, Jesus is saying, having me is going to cost you everything. But think about what he's saying. You get to have me. Think about this. You know what I'd give to spend a day with my mama? What would you give to preserve the life of your children? What would you give to find true love? Here's a lyrics of another country song. I'm a man who'd give his life and all the joys of this world. All for the love of a girl. Can I remind you this morning? Read the Gospels. 
see this Jesus. See his compassion for those who hate him. He's more precious than my mama. Jesus is more precious than your children. Jesus is better than the best romance that you can imagine. He he calls himself the pearl of great price. The the treasure that's hidden in a field. That, that, That the wise man for the joy with joy goes and sells everything that he has so he can have that treasure. If you're listening this morning, some of you may be thinking, tell me, I think that you've just crossed the line. You see, I, I think you're taking this thing way too far. I really want Jesus in my life, but, but Jesus is not my life. I want you to hear me. Then you are not a believer. Love your soul enough to hear this from Jesus. It's easy to claim to want Jesus right now. I mean, to want Jesus forever, and we don't don't really want Him now. Truth be known, some of you are more committed to your political party than you are to Christ. And you will sooner you will sooner walk away from Christ than to buck the trend of your political party, regardless of how way off base they are. Truth be known, some of you are more committed to pleasing your wife than you are to pleasing Christ. And you will disobey Him so there will be peace in your home. So, so, some of us are more committed to fitting in with our friends than we are to following Christ. This text is calling us to repent and remember that Jesus is more precious than your life. He is your life. And then one day He's going to be revealed and you're going to be revealed with Him in glory as an heir of all the promises of God. Just like Abram, Just like Jesus, God is calling us to go, knowing that it will cost us everything. But He's calling us to go with a full assurance it's going to be worth it in the end. Part of me wants to stop right there, but I'm going to push into this just a little bit more. Three practical areas. Hopefully to at least get you thinking, to get you searching your own heart, to get you repenting, and to get you believing by God's grace and here's, here's the first thing. Living in obedience to God's command to go will transform your morality. Listen, listen to Peter again. 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you. Look at how he addresses normal Christians. I urge you as aliens and strangers. That sound familiar? I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. Here's my question. What is the relationship between Christians and this present age? We we are called one day, one day we're going to be heirs. But right now we're strangers. 
Right now we're aliens. This is a good word for me because everything in me wants to fit in. If you know me, you know that I love it when everybody around me is happy. I want everybody to be happy. You might hate everybody. I want you to be happy with me. Here's, here's reality. If you follow Christ, you will not fit in. You, you, look at 1 Peter 2.11. How does that change of seeing ourselves as strangers and aliens, how, how does it change our morality? And, and look at verse 11. It says that we abstain from the lusts of the flesh. Look, look at what we're talking about. We're talking about fleshly lust are waging war against your soul. By enticing your flesh, they're waging war. Now think about this. Think about what, what does one group who's waging war against another group want to do to that group? Kill them. Your fleshly lust are seeking to kill your soul. Your fleshly lusts are saying, come in, come right over here. Entice the desires of your mind. Have pleasure in your nerve endings now. God is pleading with you to do the exact opposite. Abram, go. Go from what's familiar and live as an alien. Jesus, leave what is familiar to you and, and be an alien. He's saying, Emma, leave what is familiar to you and live as an alien. He's saying to Nathan, leave everything familiar and live as an alien. Erica, leave everything that's familiar and live with me, Jesus says, as an alien, as a stranger on planet Earth, abstaining from fleshly lust. I want to tell, I want to tell Morgan and Eli and Lena and Ruth that if you follow Jesus on your campus, if you don't hook up the way they hook up, if you don't buy into the sexual revolution the way everybody else has bought into the sexual revolution, if you acknowledge God as creator, you will be a freak on campus. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You're an alien and a stranger. Notice what I me mean next. Living in obedience to this command to go will transform your view of money. Luke 12. Do not be afraid, little flock. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Notice, notice the tender care. It's exactly what we see in verse 7 of Genesis 12. Notice the tender care. Do not be afraid, little flock. For the Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You see that? that that's, that's future. It's the same promise he made to Jesus. It's, it's future. Therefore, he says, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes in nor moth destroys. Living, living in obedience to this to this command to go will transform your view of mission. We have been given a command to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. He's really saying, go, therefore, and receive what I've already promised to Abraham to make him a blessing to all the families of the earth. Here's reality. 
this community will not be one, much less the nations, without us getting very uncomfortable. If you have this idea, I'm going to follow Jesus and stay right here where I am comfortable, and I'm going to do what comes naturally to me, we will not reach this community. And we certainly, Adam and Tiffany certainly will not reach Indonesia. He's calling us on a journey where our destination is uncertain and our situation is unsafe. Let's talk about worst case scenario. Jesus says in Luke 21, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will be an opportunity for your testimony. And then he continues in verse 16. Sorry, I can't get there. Listen to this. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all because of my name, yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Listen to that. They will put some of you to death. And then he says, yet not a hair of your head will perish. <laughs> How does that work? It only works if there's a resurrection. You tell me which age Jesus is focused on. He says, by your endurance, you will gain your life. Even if you lose the one right now. It sounds a little bit dark and morbid, but that's not his meaning at all. Mark, pull up my last slide, if you will. Look at this. Luke 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you. Blessed are you when men ostracize you. Blessed are you when men insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward in heaven is great. It's all going to be worth it in the end. And so it comes down to this. Hebrews 13, therefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people through His own blood, suffered outside the gate. So, verse 13, let's go out to Him outside the camp, bearing His reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.